we will begin, but usually you start riffing and then, you know, the good stuff happens, but. Um. <laughs> You're preaching to the choir about, about wanting to hit record sooner than you, uh, than you actually did. So I get it. Yeah. It's, um, well, and it's, I mean, I'm not interviewing pros. You're probably the most pro actually. No, I just interviewed someone who is a podcaster and there's a big difference between people who have experience with this and are comfortable in front of a microphone and yeah. people who like, they just, even if we're having a decent conversation, like we are, and you hit record just to start, you know, getting the juices flowing when they realize that this is actually audio I'm likely going to use. They clam up and get weird. And then there's like <laughs> a lot of pauses and likes and ums and things that I have to edit out. It's like, Oh God. So yeah. Yeah. People, I mean, it's it's weird when they put headphones on and they hear their voice through a microphone for the first time, or not even for the first time, but just if it's if it's someone that doesn't do it too often, hearing your voice through a microphone can be pretty terrifying. I definitely am. I don't think anyone is a huge fan of their own voice, and it does take <laughs> practice. I think but... Paul Martin's a big fan of his own voice. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, I mean, is everybody that you interviewed on your podcast, for the most part, were they all pretty comfortable? I mean, I, like, I think they were all semi, if not professional musicians and performers and creatives. Yeah, it was, a, it was about it was about 90% of people who were involved in the entertainment industry in one way, shape or another. Um, but it was easy to tell who... Um, who had done, you know, more interviews and media and stuff like that. Like obviously the, the people with bigger followings were much more comfortable, like you were saying, comfortable talking to someone while it's being recorded, but also just comfortable because, because answering questions is a skill, you know, like being interviewed is a skill. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if the answer is only going to be yes, they would at least put a little more meat on the bone for you. You know, yeah. When when answering a question, I mean, so it's uh, it it was definitely very easy to tell who uh, <laughs> who had done interviews before and who hadn't, because just being a musician doesn't necessarily mean you've ever been interviewed before. Fact. Well, and I mean, a huge learning curve for me has been editing the interviews. Yeah. It's way yeah. hard. It's been like so daunting that I find myself with a finished product and just sitting there for a week, just looking at it being like, Oh my God, where to start. Cause on the one hand, the only reason I was even able to start creating podcasts was listening to a handful of people who were, I mean, for all intents and purposes, sloppy, you know, they basically yeah. just hit record and they joke about editing things out and cutting things out. But obviously they didn't, if you're listening back to the podcast while they're joking about, I'm going to edit this out. And yeah. so I realized, well, this doesn't have to be perfect. This doesn't need to sound like, you know, an American story was, wait, no. This American life. Thank you. This American life, which was really where I kind of started I just, I realized that this didn't have to sound like Bible goes west. You know? <laughs> yeah. The streets are paved with cheese. Um, <laughs> so that it was helpful knowing like this can be pretty raw and unpolished, but then you listen back to yourself and you are amazed at how many times you can fit. Um, okay. So, and yeah. like, 
into one sentence and you're like, I need to edit this. But interviews yeah. are like a whole different. Did you do all the editing or did you guys, because you were, it was a co-hosted podcast. Did you guys share that? No, I did all the editing, uh, but it was simply just because I don't think Orville had a computer that was capable of running a DAW at the time. Mm. <laughs> so I did all of the editing. My main problem was was less the ums and and like uh, okays and more so you just hear what phrases that you yourself tend to repeat. Mm, I, yeah. I very frequently on the podcast would say the phrase, you're not far off. When someone would be like uh, um, agreeing with me, which, you know, it it's fine, but it started to fucking annoy me, you know? Yeah. I so, like to say that's interesting. So interesting. That's fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> yes. You're Not Far Off was the thing that kept jumping out at me and it was, oh God, it was so annoying. It was so annoying to, and, and it was me. Like, it'd be one thing if it was Orville because then I could kind of rib him about it, but it was like he was... Uh, he repeats far fewer phrases than I do. Interesting. <laughs> See, there we go. Already getting right into you it. You did it. You just, you're just tanking this thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's harsh. We haven't even really gotten started. Yeah. See, I'm going I'm to edit that out. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to be edited it. out. Everybody listening yeah. at home, that's going to be edited out. If it's not <laughs> edited out, then you know that Nicole didn't do shit. Well, and interestingly, like, I also kind of wonder, you know, you mentioned like interviewing as a skill and answering a question. And sometimes my interviewee will, you know, go off on a little tangent or take it on, take it on a fun little adventure. And I, I wonder where I should be editing for my listeners yeah. <laughs> uh, time and energy or, but like also in respecting the time and energy of the person who I interviewed and I'm not necessarily wanting to take their response too far out of their own context but yeah i kind of struggle with like where is the the editor's role and then the the creative fun flow of an actual raw conversation yeah and so. it's just like sometimes that those tangents really lead you down a fantastic and interesting path and like get you somewhere so and that's where like the skill of the interviewer comes into play, where it's sort of like knowing when to um, bring everything sort of back to the center, back to the question, and then um, and knowing when to allow someone, or not allow someone, but you know what I mean, like because you're you're steering a ship when you're when you're interviewing someone or or doing a podcast with them, and sometimes the ship can like start heading toward an island, and then you're like. That's not where we're supposed to go. And then you get closer and you're like, oh, actually, it's that's pretty nice. Let's go over there for a little bit. So totally. Yeah. By the way, I just made up that little uh, example. That's pretty good. That was that was a fantastic example. I'm envisioning this island and I see lots of naked women on it because that's <laughs> how I see any island. You would be like, oh, we will be sojourning there for the afternoon right yeah this is what this is where amazingly siri also lunch. showed up for that and started recording everything i just said so now you're on record <laughs> as sailing towards the titty island jesus yeah the um <laughs> somehow and then you know it, somehow i always knew that's where i would end up <laughs> it, it didn't take um much uh meandering to find ourselves on the shores of the scantily clad island 
Yeah, we're eight minutes into the interview and we're already um we're already docked at Titty Island. Well let's let's uh go ashore. Um and, <laughs> yeah. and maybe I'll take this opportunity yeah. to uh to actually su- describe who I'm speaking with, the captain of the ship, Mr. Mike Garrido. <laughs> uh austin texas resident however we met in new orleans which i've referred to many times on this podcast because she is my obsession and mistress but (laughs) mike is an artist a musician a producer who i wanted to get on here one because i definitely just needed some dudes just just kidding mike um i actually (laughs) wanted to get in here because at one point and i think this is one of our extended covid conversations but a lot of artists especially in austin hit a real fork in their road and a lot of them that i spoke to in the last couple of years chose to take the path very well traveled where you somehow managed to maintain your creative output to call in some pretty amazing opportunities and to kind of Something that I see you doing, at, at least from my outside perspective, so well is trusting that it's all going to work out. And <laughs> that's a real skill. You some, well, you somehow manage to like a- always make it work. And you haven't, you know, gotten the proverbial day job. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with that. No, oftentimes I wish I did. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, yeah, we we'll get into that for sure, but. You know, you're charging more for your work. You're doing bigger, better gigs. You're having more interesting conversations. And you did that in the face of a complete shutdown without any promise of where to from here. And uh, that's kind of, again, why I thought you'd be really good because this whole conversation, speaking of, you know, meanderings and explorations, but the, the core and the focus for me and for what I want my listeners to kind of be able to hear is someone who is living the life of both the artist and the real world participant and that you get your bills paid. You, you know, you get up every day, what do you put on your pants and then you make gold records. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I forget what the exact quote, but it's from the cowbell sketch on uh, Saturday night live with Christopher Walken, where he says, and he's like, guys, I do, you know, I'm just like everyone else. I put on my pants one leg at a time. But the only difference is that I make gold records. Exactly. So, so that's that's a yeah, that's a fair uh, a fair summary of my life. I put on my pants one leg at a time, and then I make gold records to me, not necessarily to the uh, RIAA, but to me, they're gold records. <laughs> Very subtle caveat to be added. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I decide what a gold record is. <laughs> and I mean, I think the music that you're making now, your your original. And so I, I cheated because I kind of already shared the origin of this conversation. So I'm now just going to simply force you to give us the origin story of Mike Garrido. Because I okay. think what's fascinating as well is, see, I did it again. There's a, I've already dropped an interesting and a fascinating. fascinating. Uh, but, but truly, like, <laughs> If you told your 16-year-old self or your 25-year-old self the kind of music you'd be making and the people that you're working with now, I think they would have – I don't even know if they would have laughed. It probably Your 25-year-old self would have just simply turned on his heel and walked the other direction. <laughs> yeah, he might have been a little bit um, 
a little bit upset just simply because 25 year old me was like very sort of like militant garage rock sort of kind of a kid. I don't, I mean, maybe it's just being young and thinking that you have, cause I'm 38 now and, and maybe, maybe being young and thinking that you have everything figured out. Um, but like, man, it, it would be very fun to tell. I think 16 year old Mike would be way happier than 25 year old Mike, just simply because 25 year old Mike was kind of a shithead. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. You know, he, he was just very, um, I'd say he, it was fucking me. I was just, you know, I definitely thought that I knew better and really thought that things would just sort of happen. So, and this, I don't know if this is something that you wanted to touch on, but that sort of speaks a lot about, uh, kind of making peace with where you are as an artist, if you're not, you know, like selling at the Palladium or selling paintings for, you know, $200,000 each or whatever. It's like, well, that typically takes a lot of hard work. And when I was younger, I just really didn't work that hard, <laughs> you know? So I don't, it's not something that keeps me up in the way that it used to when I was in my twenties and being like, why haven't I, you know, why am I not on the cover of whatever magazine, which for our younger listeners, magazines used to be a very big deal. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, and the answer was just simply that I really wasn't working that hard because I thought that things would just kind of happen. And that's one of the best parts about getting older is being like, oh, like you have to cultivate relationships and like work really hard at the thing that you do. Like I should be a better musician than I am. I'm just, I was, I was lazy when I was a kid and figured that I would just kind of fall into stuff. And, uh, while I did fall into a fair amount of stuff, not enough that I would be, you know, like that I would like have a car collection. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, and that's, I mean, the people that I want to talk to, it's so funny. Cause the, the last person that I interviewed was like, do you want me to send, you know, some like a headshot or a bio? And I was like, Oh, that's right. That's a thing. Um, I'm not talking to the people who are selling pieces for $200,000 or those that are getting paid a million dollars to get on a stage. Yeah. I'm talking to the people who are, yeah, getting up every day, putting their pants on like everybody else and then making their art because they can't not do it. And, you know, I yeah. have a pretty loose definition of art. I think we're all creatives. We are all artists. And it's in finding that unique perspective that we view our worlds through that we can then really create the work that not just changes and impacts our world, but fulfills us. And so regardless of the day job or, you know, whatever you do to pay your bills, and that may or may not be your art, you're doing the damn thing because you can't, you can't not do it. And that isn't sexy yeah. and necessarily rewarding. In fact, it can usually be quite painful and obnoxious. So I'm just going to back it up a little bit because like I want us to ask, well, 25, where were you in the world? But potentially let's start because I, I love this story myself. Because um, <laughs> my understanding is growing up in Long Island and it well, I didn't grow up on Long Island. Oh, okay. Well, the, okay. So let's go. When did you start? Like, when did the music become a part of your experience? And you take it from here, Mike. Okay. Well, I was, I was born in the Bronx, which is where my mom is from. Then I, but I grew up in, in a town called Scarsdale, which is like a very posh suburb of New York city. That's North of the city, not East of the city. So it's like, it's above the Bronx as opposed to like you were saying, Long Island. So 
it's essentially, it's just one fucking suburb to another. It's the same fucking shit. Music for me started, I mean, I always really liked it. A lot of my, neither of my parents are musicians or, or artists per se, but my mom always had like a profound appreciation for the arts, but just never really attempted stuff. And I kind of don't really know why that actually makes me want to ask her. I should call her and ask her that question because I now I want to know but so I guess when I was like in middle school which is when everybody when the idea of like sort of cool starts to mm-hmm. develop among your among your social circles that's when I really got super interested in, in in music kids born in the 80s that grew up in the suburbs of New York uh I was completely obsessed with the Beastie Boys mm-hmm. and so in 1998 I think the record Hello Nasty came out, which was the one they did with Mixmaster Mike. And when that happened and I was like sort of watching what Mixmaster Mike was doing with turntables, I was like, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Like playing an instrument, I never really considered it because it just seemed so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Like. I grew up playing saxophone, but I like played it in the school band. It it didn't feel creative, you know, Yeah. like I wasn't expressing myself through that instrument. It was like you, you had to either be in band or in orchestra. So we really, it was a a very difficult point in my family's life uh, in a lot of ways, but specifically financially. So it took a lot of uh, being a pain in the ass to get um a set of turntables but that's when i got turntables and that's when i got into like djing but also battle djing and then that also led me to record collecting because like when you would you would be in a dj battle you would want something that like the crowd had never heard before or you know something that could like sort of give you the edge and collecting records is really what led me down a path of like oh maybe i actually can play an instrument because when when you're young and you and your exposure to music is your your friends or, or your siblings and stuff like that, it seems like a fucking magic trick, you know? Yes. It seems like it, it seems unattainable. And I have to remind myself all the time that people that aren't musicians, when they watch a musician, particularly if they like watch people doing improv or like quote unquote jamming or whatever, uh, you know, people have been like, How did you know to do this when they did that. And I'm like, I don't fucking know. I just, you just do it, you know? And that just comes from the vocabulary Mm -hmm. of being a musician. But That's a whole other discussion. But I think the simplest way that I can put the beginning of my music career and it, and it's, and it just stayed that way the entire time is I was like, when I, when I got to high school, I was never satisfied just being a fan. Like if I saw something musical that I liked, I wanted to try it like, and I wanted to do it and I wanted to be part of the story and like part of the history. When I started collecting records and you're, and you're, you know, in a thrift store, just like, you know, going through all of these, all of these records and you realize like, oh shit, everything that I just like passed over, like in, in, in 60 seconds, I probably went through, you know, a hundred records and every single one of those records was somebody's best shot. Every single one of those records was someone's dream that I just like <laughs> flew past. Flicked because by. I'm like, oh, that doesn't look interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's 
uh, it's a little sad, but it is also very sort of reassuring because it's like, well, they're, they're in it, you know, they're in the box. Yeah. So they're, they're a part of the story. So that was the thing for me. That was the big thing that I was like, if I saw something when I, you know, when I saw Mixmaster Mike doing stuff with the BC boys, I was just like, fuck, I want to try that. Like, I want to do that. And then when I got a little older and I, and I learned a little more about music, cause I didn't start playing guitar until I was 20. I was going to say um, when you I discovered MC five and realized all you need is three chords. <laughs> <laughs> well, the five, the five are a great example of a band that was, that was incredibly good. That, that seems very simple. It, essentially that's, that's what happened. I had a, um, I, I liked the music that I had in high school. And then as I got a little older, one of my best friends growing up who I'm still very close with is the one that showed me like the band television. And I remember him being like, oh, you've got to hear this, this record marquee moon. And he, you know, burned me a CD of it. I don't know where the hell he got it. He's an attorney now in DC. He's not an artist, <laughs> but, um, that was, uh, that was a great example of something and being like, man, this is something I would really love to do. And then when I was 20, I would, uh, I was ribbing my mom during Thanksgiving about how come she never forced me to take piano lessons. It was a, it was a friendly jab at my mother and she was just kind of rolled her eyes and was like, was like, I paid for you to get music lessons. You just, you didn't like it. And she was right. I had completely forgotten that I grew up <laughs> playing saxophone and I was like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. But so the, the year that I turned 20 for Christmas, my mother actually bought me an acoustic guitar. Like I was 11, you know, yeah. like there's no reason that my mother should be buying me at 20. Was it guitar. nylon string or steel string? <laughs> no, it was like a steel string. Okay. Acoustic. Cause that's like um, the true 11 year olds. It's like a shitty classical guitar with, you know, nylons, like. Right. Where the neck is so wide yeah. that like you can't even hold it. Yeah. But like the strings don't but, hurt <laughs> and it's much easier to play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I was I was enough of a grown up that she bought me an acoustic <laughs> guitar, and uh, but it, it very much kind of came along with this sort of like I don't want to hear you complain that I didn't like encourage you to do music because you know <laughs> here you go, <laughs> just learn to play the fucking thing, and that was really the beginning of of making full on rock and roll music because I had a sampler, I had an Ensonic EPS when I was younger, and I used to make sample based music because i also i loved groups like the avalanches so much and other people doing stuff at the time like cup chemist and dj shadow and shit like that so well and this um, is also probably for a whole nother discussion but it's so fascinating i mean that's how we connected actually was over records and your record collection but the way that you think about music it's so obvious from that perspective of looking for samples, looking for patterns, looking for interesting pieces that you can then almost deconstruct to create something really special and unique. Like your brain thinks in looping, which I don't know I, when we actually spoke about this, it was like one of those moments where you didn't realize everybody doesn't construct a song in that fashion or think about music like that or look for yeah. records and hunt down very specific it's like you know what you're looking for but you don't it doesn't exist yet so then you know that's where you're sort of flipping through and finding pieces and creating a melodic line or a riff and it, it's just an it's a really i think it's a really special way of of thinking about music and but it comes so native to you you don't 
you were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it I think it actually stems from not playing um, music when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, like I didn't actually start creating my own musical ideas until I was 20, like meaning like from scratch with an instrument, yep. you know. So I think that it's it's just like the reason that my brain works that way is because that is how my brain always made music because I didn't actually know how to play anything until I was until I was older. So then when I got older and I started to make my own music, it became my quote unquote process was doing it in the way that I remembered how to do it when I was younger, which was like, oh, I hear this thing that I really like. What happens if I just loop that? Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's how I write songs in my own brain. But I think, I think you may have actually been at my house when, when we talked about that. Yeah. (laughs) Because you were like, you're like, why do you, is that how you do this? And I'm like, yeah, I thought that's how everybody did this. <laughs> and you're like, that is not how everybody no, does yeah. it. <laughs> um, so. Well, and I, like, I wanted to talk to you about your perspective of just simply being in art and creating art, but I think we've, we've kind of covered that. And I'm interrupting here because now I'm interrupting the origin story, but this is my interview. So fucking deal with it. Um, Yeah, it belongs to you. When you, would you think like sampling has been especially controversial in terms of, is it art or is it, is it sort of reconstructive surgery? When you think about Mm -hmm. sampling and like, not just artists like Mix Master Mike um, or DJ Shadow, but also like Girl Talk, who really are just creating a puzzle piece of music like what are your thoughts on that in terms of art oh i mean that 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 would be insane to think that it wasn't art like the 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 financial aspect of it is a completely different Mm -hmm. conversation but i mean that because at some point you're basically making something that wouldn't exist without you Mm -hmm. you know like which is basically what it boils down to right (laughs) you know you're like i feel this thing so i made this thing here you go that's pretty much what any kind of art form is and so sampling for me is an extremely challenging art form because there's a a lot that goes into it it's obviously it's it's much easier now that that DAWs which uh, for people that don't know at home when I say DAW it means digital audio workstation Mm -hmm. which is just like a a piece of software that allows you to record and rearrange music and do all of that shit but yeah it, it to say that it's not an art form is, is just like mind boggling to me because it's it's a very specific skill set and it has a lot to do with musical knowledge you know it has it's the exact same thing as as writing a song in terms of like key and time signature mm. and all of that shit so really good point um, and well and the financials are a nightmare and i kind of wonder as we the conversation and I don't actually want to get into it. We'll get back to the, the, the origin story name, Mike, but it's hard. The idea of, of, of owning an idea and then selling it and creating a piece of property that can then be, you know, split up is, is actually a pretty modern concept. And I'm not sure it's the artists that created that concept, and this idea of, you know, how do we get paid and who's who's responsible for paying and then collecting when things go the, into different territories. And yeah, I think that probably influences the conversation more so than is this art, at least from my perspective. Uh, but we, you yeah. know, we defend the idea that it might not be art, I think, because it's more financially motivated. So yeah, I digress. But I, sorry, go ahead. The money element of it is is always going to be kind of shit like it's easy to think about how different things are now but i mean 
you talk to any old timer in terms of music, like who, who gets paid and how much has been a problem since people started charging for art. So it's not a modern problem yeah. by any means. Well, and then who gets credit as well? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, just the idea, like, um, I forget what the DJ's name is, but there was, was maybe it's an old wives tale, but there's like a, a few songs by Chuck Berry that are co-written by a DJ and he didn't co-write it. He just, it was his payola. Right. <laughs> so that as the record would sell, he would get royalties on it because he was the one that played it on the radio or some shit like that. So it's, it's been a problem forever. Very true. Okay. So I want to get back to, you are now in your twenties and you're in New York. Yes. Um, um, and when did, like, when did you, when, when were you in your first band? I don't actually know the answer to that question. My first band was called PEMDAS. Um, like, please excuse my dear aunt Sally. <laughs> Thank you for um, that. I, I was thought it was some like math nerd DOS joke after the television. No, I mean, comment. Was, <laughs> I don't know why we named it that, but it was called PEMDAS. And I think that it was just kind of like, I couldn't believe that no one had named it band PEMDAS because I'm not particularly um into math in fact i'm not great at it but yeah so that was my first band it was called pemdas and it was when i was in college and it was uh it was originally going to be me and four friends but it became just me and this and and this one friend who i haven't talked to him in years but i think he ended up as like a high level sound engineer or something Sweet. like he was like he was like front of house for pixies or some shit he was doing great I don't want to say his name because, yeah, you know, understood. Uh, but uh, either way, so and he was actually he taught me a lot about recording because he was in school for recording. Yes. So you'll notice a theme in my life is thinking that I know better than people and thinking that um, I know the best way to do this or we should stick to it like this because such and such did it this way which is uh very dumb and very youthful and it was a shame because i probably could have learned a lot more from this this guy who i was in this band with because he was in school to be a recording engineer and he would be like well this is how we do it and i'm like yeah but what if we just did it this way because that's how you know like um like kearney barton recorded drums for the sonics just one one mic in front one mic in top and he's just like that's really not going to sound that good yeah <laughs> and i was like i was like yeah but that's how they did it and those records sound amazing so let's do that you know which is kind of kind of dumb yeah uh, yeah i'm gonna give you a little bit of grace here like because i did i went through audio engineering school and i can tell you i put a drum set in the bathroom i put mics you know on every side of the kick drum i put them inside the guitar i put them on the guitar neck like yeah and just it, because you you'd hear some you know famous artist did it and it's like you didn't realize because that was the 70s and they had one microphone <laughs> and like they were touring 365 days out of the year so they would have to go into a bathroom to mimic like reverb and yeah it's just yeah so i mean it, experimentation is absolutely crucial mm -hmm. when it comes to stuff like this i just uh that perhaps that wasn't the greatest example, but I, I just no, I, I get it. It's the, it, the you were like, no, no, uh, we're doing it this way, and that might right. have frustrated some of the people in your experience sometimes. When I really didn't know anything, and that's the best part. <laughs> it, 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 it was like, uh, 
you know, I, I know so much more now than I did then. However, mm -hmm. when I think about how much I know now, it feels like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the idea of anyone listening to me back then um, is hilarious. I want to call everybody up that I that I ever did music with, like constantly, and apologize. And like, I'm really sorry <laughs> that I made you guys all do this. So yeah, PEMDAS is my first band, and that was I was very I was still very new to playing guitar, so I kind of wasn't great at it. But we made up for it in, in other ways. Like we, I was still doing a lot of sampling stuff then. I forget, what was it? We, yeah, I used to sample drums because recording drums was so, was so hard. So I remembered, uh, and also neither of us was very good at drums. So I was like, you know what? Drums sound great. Um, <laughs> the drums on The Wizard by Black Sabbath. So let's just take those drums. Um, and, uh. But, but again, that was very fun because that was very helpful down the line because that was um, lots of experimentation and, and learning about why the records that we liked sounded the way that they did, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. We played that. So, I played the beat replacement game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now that's why all drums um, sound like a robot played them. Um, yeah. And now people think yeah. that like drummers should be perfect and you see them live and it's hilarious being like this, this, these guys suck. And it's like, no, this is what music sounds like. <laughs> You've just come, yeah. come yeah, up in an era where everything was beat replaced and manufactured. And also like they've stolen all of the sounds. Like you can buy like Black Sabbath's record samples or guitar samples or drum samples now, you know? Yeah. And uh... <laughs> that's that's really, really funny. I was, um, I, I thought of a very great anecdote just now and I, um, completely lost it. So. Cause I kept jibber jabbering. You're welcome. Yeah, you Expect know, more of that. Well, I think that's the problem with it, both of us, both of us, um, both of us talk too much, but that's why we get along. So yeah. Well. And I also know better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't relate to that at all. I don't know who yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, look who I'm talking to. But um, so from PEMDAS, it just kind of became, PEMDAS was really the, the beginning of me understanding that I can just like, you could sit in your house and, and record a record. Like you don't need a uh, big studio or anything like that. It was a very, everything that I've done has been extremely DIY, but just mostly because you don't really have like another option. You know, like if you want to do it, this is the way to do it. So in terms of like an origin story of the kind of thing that I do now or the kind of thing that I've continued to do, it really just stems from like, well, if you want to do it, you have to just fucking do it. And there's plenty of plenty of gatekeepers and stuff like that, but none of them have ever really liked anything that I've done anyway. So. Okay, well, then I'm going to take this opportunity to segue again. We'll get back to the origin story at some point. We'll get to Austin, Texas, but... You just okay. got to fucking do it. And that's, again, yeah. what, like, in terms of what am I trying to translate across all of these different interviews is how you just fucking do it. And the other thing I'm I'm exploring is the intersection of your creativity and spirituality. So yeah. I'm assuming you have, well, actually, I have no idea. Do you have a daily routine when it comes to just fucking doing it? No, I probably should. Uh, I've experimented with things like that. Mm -hmm. Like there, there were times during COVID where I said I was going to make, you know, like a beat a day for like a month just and see. It, it didn't necessarily have to be good. It just had to sort of be an effort. 
And um, that sort of thing worked. But no, I don't, I don't have a creative routine. And that's actually something that I was talking to my partner in the group, Bashu, that I do now. Uh, there's this, there's like a weird sweet spot of powering through when you're sort of like, quote unquote, not feeling it. And uh, it's very difficult to know when you're working on something to be like, oh, I'm really hitting a wall. I need to sort of just take a step and like take a step back and, and let my brain sort of like defrag so that I can continue to do this or being like, I hit a wall, but you just have to fucking keep pushing through it. You know, yeah. so, so knowing, knowing the difference between I need a break and I'm on the brink of something and I just need to keep going is probably knowing where that is for yourself is it incredibly difficult. And I still don't know where that is for me because I mean, there have been plenty of times I'm sure where I was working on something and I was stuck and I was like, eh, why don't I just like, you know, take a walk or go uh, get some food or just fucking watch another episode of Seinfeld when like, who knows that could have been, uh, <laughs> I could have written, um, you know, the poker face, by uh, Lady Gaga. <laughs> But no, I don't, I don't really have a, a routine in terms of creativity, nothing that I've stuck with. I've experimented a lot with it because it is work, you know, yeah. you need to, it, like you were saying about it, it just needs to be something that you just fucking sit down and do. And sometimes, you know, it, it can be a very important exercise to sit down and finish something that you're not kind of in love with because you might learn how to do something. Well, I think it's you know. really useful to hear you say that though, because so many, I don't want to say like leaders or gurus or teachers or guides or whatever, but people who are for all intents and purposes successful talk about, you know, you get up, you sit in front of the computer and you spend five hours or, you know, you write three pages or they have a very disciplined approach and that, that doesn't work for everybody. And I think this yeah. will actually kind of get to the other thing that I want to explore with you is that mindset that trust that at least, like I said, I witness you having like, oh, I'm going to get there. I'm going to make it. This is going to get written. This is going to get done. This is going to get created. And so I can take that break and walk away. How do you, or when did, I mean, I don't even know if you noticed it. We did talk about this. Again, that's kind of mm -hmm. why I wanted to have this conversation with you. Were you aware that you have this faith in your creativity prior to my saying, <laughs> Mike, you seem to always make it work and be able to come up with a very usable, likable piece when you need it. No, I don't know where it came from. Mm. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's difficult to say because like the idea of not doing it just kind of doesn't really even make sense to me, mm -hmm. you know, because if you're if you're making art to make money uh you're kind of already in it for the wrong reasons mm -hmm. not to say that there aren't people that are like fantastic at making things that people want to buy like that is that is an incredible skill set mm -hmm. and one that i don't um one that i don't possess unfortunately but uh it's an incredible skill set but it's it but it's different when the idea of of not doing creative work like that just doesn't really make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, it's not something I ever even consider. It's, well, it's like does not compute. Like your brain. Yeah. Like I, I think when I talk about things, I can like over intellectualize them. But like the the simplicity of the matter is, is that's just not 
something that you do think about. Like, it's not like there is another option. It's just, it just is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something that I, the, the idea of not coming up with silly ideas and seeing what would happen if I tried them just doesn't really make sense to me at all. I, 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 I'm always going to just be like, oh, well, what if I, you know, fucking glued uh, this banana peel to uh, a stuffed monkey and threw it at my neighbor's cat? You <laughs> yeah. know, it's like... Because, <laughs> I mean, music, like, is the very obvious form of art, but I think photography and design, certainly interior design, like thrifting, like there's so many different creative outlets that you excel at. Thank so, you. yeah, to your point, <laughs> I mean, you you view your world through an artist's lens and it, I mean, I've been hanging out with you like while we're cooking dinner and, you know, a record's on in the background and like everything has to stop to grab that sample where I'm like, wait, what is happening? Who? Like, where? oh, okay. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that that, that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just like you were saying about interior design in terms of like my house and stuff like that. I just, I, I've always wanted to just live in the, I want to build the world that I want to live in, albeit however small it is, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe that's kind of goes back to what I was saying before, where I was like, never, um, never comfortable just being a fan of something. It was always like, well, no, I want some sort of like, I want this for me. You know, I'm jealous of people that can just be a fan of something like someone who just like really loves music and they just like love to seek out and listen to music. And then you're just like, well, do you ever play an instrument? And they're like, no, I never really had any interest in it. And it's like, but you love music so much. And they're like, yeah, it was like that. You want to talk about doesn't compute to me. Yeah. That makes no fucking sense to me. Well, when what I'm hearing right now, because this is like, you know what I do for work and what I talk a lot about with people is like, how do you call upon the muse? You indulge her, you flirt with her. And when she shows up, like you sit down and make her dinner. And I think what has always come so naturally to you hearing you share it in this manner is that like when, you know, the pings or the downloads or the, the ideas show up, like you, you stop, you've created a life where you can stop everything and grab it and capture it and and build upon it and therefore she's kind of always there for you um do you ever feel yeah. like creatively blocked i mean yeah of course there uh, you know i think every every artist no matter what their chosen art form is you know every few months looks at looks at their studio or room or whatever equipment they use to make the things that they choose to make and probably say like shit this is so dumb. I'm just going to look at all the, this. I paid all this money for this stuff. Like I should just sell this and like become a CPA and just not worry about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, <laughs> but obviously like that's the, that's just wouldn't work. You know, that, that, that sort of a life wouldn't work, um, for me and for the people that do that sort of thing. But, uh, but again, it's one of those things, well, it's shit. I wish that I could just like be a CPA and I, I wish that I could, go to my job and then like go to happy hour with my coworkers and just be like, this is the best. Right. When really like that feels like the night gate of hell. For me. <laughs> um, well, so when people say like, what do you do for work? What's your answer? That's actually, that, man, what a great question. When people ask what I do for work, I usually just tell them I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. Just 
because uh, if someone says, what do you do for work? It's usually in a situation where they're like kind of making small talk. Yeah. No, what I'm like <laughs> it, 100%. Yeah. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to explain all of the things that I do mm-hmm. or that I have done. But yeah, so I guess that's that's my answer is just um, I just say that I'm a musician when for me, I guess the answer is way more so like, uh, what do you do for work? What I really should say is like, I kind of do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> well, no, what I was going to ask you, what would be your answer if I were to say, what What do you call your work? Or how do you think about your work? Or is it even work? Yeah, I mean, it is work. It's, it, or at least it can be. I guess if you were going to ask me, I would say, you know, I, I try to keep myself from disappointing the 16-year-old in me. I don't know. Perfect. <laughs> I often feel like I'm a boss to 18-year-old BZ. Well, yeah. and you answered it. Like, you do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, and I don't, and it, you know, that that might be a little bit of, um, I don't I don't necessarily mean it in such a, like, an extreme way of, like, not like a nihilist, I do whatever the fuck I want. But I just, I do what I need to do in order to do the things that I want to do. Yeah. Well, and it sounds a hell of a lot more nihilistic and like sexy than it probably feels in your day to day. Yeah, I don't consider it. And that's um, like because you you and I have talked about this in the past many times when I'm like, when I talk to people that aren't artists and they ask me about some of the things that I do, they're like, wow, like, I can't like, how do you do all that? (laughs) Like there, there have been periods of my life when I've been in like three bands and gigging all the time and they're just like they're like wow like how do you find the time to do that i'm like i don't fucking know i want to do it so i just do it Mm. (laughs) you know it's not it's not a thing in fact i always feel like and maybe this is the virgo in me i always feel like i'm not doing anything like there was a period of time when i played in three active bands i had a podcast i had a full-time job i used to dj all the time and I would just be like, God, you know, I don't fucking do anything. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was probably playing between like five and 15 shows a month and then DJing at least once a week, all while working 40 hours a week, you know, and just feeling like I didn't do anything. <laughs> but yeah, I, it's, I, I, I don't know how useful my response or my responses will be in this case, just simply because the idea of not doing it is not something that I've ever even really considered Mm. because in one way, shape or form, I'm going to do the things that make me feel good and satisfied and satiated. Well, and so thank you for sharing that. I, I think the answers are profound because I know what's, well, I think I know I'd like to hear What's shifted from 16-year-old to 25 to 38? Because I think what you just said, like the fulfillment, the satiation, the ability, the freedom, at least in feeling like I can do what I want, even if that might be I'm not doing shit. How yeah. has the, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like the reward of the work changed for you? Oh, that's a great question. Well, the reward of the work um, has shifted quite a bit as I got older, but a lot of that just came with the lessons that come with just getting older. I have a, I don't want to say a lot, but I have enough friends that are very, very successful at music that I would have loved to have been successful at, you know, like I have friends that are in some of my favorite bands and 
they have been instrumental in allowing me to really enjoy the stuff that I make because they've played a huge part in me just letting go of a lot of jealousy, mm. you know, which is, it, which is incredibly, incredibly toxic in terms of which, I mean, toxic is kind of a silly word, but like it's, it's, uh, it can really eat you alive when you let other people's successes have anything to do with the thing that you want to do, mm. you know, and it's, but it, it can be hard, especially when you're young and you see another young band succeeding, it really feels like they took it from you, you know, but they did it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are situations in which they did, you know, like if, it, if, a, if a label, when I was a kid, you know, if a label was deciding between a band I was in and another band and they went with the other band, like, yes, that obviously sucks. And there's a, that is, reasonable jealousy but just like i remember seeing you know like a band from california all of a sudden starting to blow up and being like man fuck those guys <laughs> and it's being like wait a minute <laughs> that has nothing to do with me you know yeah they they didn't take anything from me so i think that the reward for me in music came only quite recently in terms of years because I had to work really hard to let go of jealousy and to just be like everything art wise, everything has a fucking place. You know, it doesn't do you any good to sit around. Obviously it can be fun to take jabs at things that you think suck, <laughs> but the idea of like harping on that sort of thing and letting it affect you in a way that like makes you negative because being negative is just like, it's such a, it's such a fucking feedback loop that really gets in the way of doing stuff. Yeah. You know, and so I really kind of took this off the rails, but I, I think what I'm trying to get at is that like understanding that your artwork or that your work really, odds are it probably doesn't have shit to do with anybody else. Yeah. So that you should just kind of do the things that, that you want to be doing and the things that make you feel fulfilled because like, what's, what's the fucking alternative, mm. you know, like doing the things, making the kind of stuff that you want to make feels great. And if people really like it, that feels awesome. But getting older and letting go of things like jealousy and letting go of just thinking like, oh, I'm good at this. How come I'm not like a famous person was was crucial in allowing me to just enjoy the stuff that I actually fucking make. Well, and I, what I'm hearing you say is it's like the externalization of your work, like you're not doing it for them. And I mean, it, yeah. it, it does take introspection and growth and maturity to understand that it's not about like, yeah, obviously, you know, throngs of adoring fans, fantastic, but that isn't a marker of how good your music is or how good your performance is. And yeah, totally. So yeah, it's, it's just that kind of knowing, or I shouldn't say knowing, learning that it's, it, it's an internal process, jealousy, envy, comparison, that all of that is, is externalized. And I think, I mean, for, yeah. for at least I can't speak for other people, but for myself, I found, you know, that judgment and that the, the the fun and you know taking jabs really came from i don't want to place say like a place of insecurity i think that's pretty fucking like that's just, i don't know it's like a 90210 episode or some shit but like i was that judgmental of myself and therefore i would externalize it to others when yeah. releasing all of that really allowed me to start playing and putting myself in places that were a lot more uncomfortable because i stopped worrying about what I would think of myself, let alone what other people would. But I want to circle back to something. You said toxicity is a silly word. 
and you knew this was coming because spirituality is such a loaded term these days as well. But I, and my sort of growth and also uh, zero fucks giving around what other people think, I'm fascinated by the intersection of spirituality and creativity because for someone Mm -hmm. who was never raised in like organized religion or, you know, has run the full gamut of the millennial spiritual brouhaha. I too, I can't help but, but notice a stark relationship between the two. And we've talked a little bit about it, but now I've got you on record and I'm curious, how does spirituality or whatever you might term that uh, relationship with something bigger than you interplay with your creativity? Man, that's that's hard to say. Just that's hard to say for me, simply because like the older I get, the more I think about how like <laughs> it's like none of this matters at all, mm. <laughs> you know. But 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 like in a great way, yeah. You know, like none of it matters. So just kind of like do whatever you want. Don't hurt anybody. Do whatever you yeah. want. Yeah. So. Um, but in terms of the intersection for my work, when I was a kid, I loved the stories of like seemingly divine intervention, mm. like when creating a, a, a famous piece of work, like the story of Keith Richards waking up one morning and then him realizing that he had recorded something in his sleep and it was the intro riff to satisfaction. And he like doesn't remember it, but he just eats. He must have woken up in the middle of the night and recorded it. While sleeping. Like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> right, yeah, quote unquote sleeping. Sleeping on um, heroin. Sorry. Um. The big guy. <laughs> um, but I was really obsessed with that. And, and honestly, stories like that kind of slowed me down in terms of creating because you would sort of wait for lightning mm. to strike. And when the reality of that story with Keith Richards is that he was probably playing guitar eight hours a day. And it was the culmination of months of working on songs. Mm-hmm. It's the, it, there wasn't anything magical about it. It was tons of work. And then he couldn't fucking sleep and got up and was just like, oh shit, I got this thing in my head. I can't fall asleep until I get it out of my head. So he recorded and then he went back to sleep and it just happened to be satisfaction. Right. But a funny story about me um, I, like I said, I loved that story and I loved all of those great, like rock and roll stories, the, all of the old wives tales that the old timers would tell you in guitar shops and stuff like that. They're all such great stories, but you, I wonder how true any of them are. But like I said, I, I always loved that Keith Richards story. And I remember laying in bed one night, I guess I was like, I don't know, I guess I was like 20, 21 or something like that, 21 or 22, and not being able to sleep and just being like, oh, I got this thing in my head. I can't move. God damn it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the moment. So I like grabbed, I think I had like a micro cassette recorder and I played this thing that was in my head into the recorder. And then I like, I fucking slept like a baby. And when I got up in the morning, I was like, oh. This is, see, like, I am one of these guys. Like, this is going to be the song. This is the song that, you know, this is going to put me, you know, in the in the arena. And so I listened back to it, and it was just a terrible version of Going to California. By <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. It turns out when you don't work very hard at your instrument, you just end up regurgitating other things that people have done. It was like, 
it was like a poorly played version of going to California with the exact same vocal melody. And I was like, God, this is, I remember feeling very defeated <laughs> because I was like, you mean I'm going to have to work at this? God damn it. Well, but I think, I don't know. <sighs> let me, let me, let me try to an answer your question a little more, a little more concisely because I mean, that story is, it has to do with it and it is funny, but it's, it's also not terribly helpful in terms of what you asked. Spirituality, the, inter the intersection of spirituality and creation for me, it's like, it's not deep and it's not loaded, mm. you know, feeling that you're getting to know yourself better and trusting yourself more and relaxing with who you really are will lead you down a path of making the things that, that really express what's going on inside you, mm. you know, like. I, it, it's almost every time I write a baseline, it's like a sad or not a sad baseline, but it's sort of like, you know, like somewhat sinister. And I remember bringing a baseline to the studio, doing stuff with Michael for and him being like, like, every time you write a baseline, it's like dark. <laughs> He's like, we're making like, we're making like disco music and you're bringing me like dark baselines. And I was like, I don't even fucking think of it. I'm like, this is just what I usually end up writing for the baseline. And he was just like, that's something you might want to think about. <laughs> I'm like, oh, damn. Okay. Um, but when in reality, I think I'm like, maybe I just kind of lean on a certain scale, maybe a little too much, but, but also like, I think that that's a true expression of, of who I am as a human being. Like there's, there's like sadness and darkness in there that I, and that's the way that I unpack it. Mm, yeah. You know? That, that's the way that I release it is through that kind of music, which is funny to be making, essentially be making dance music now because I don't like going to clubs. Like I don't like going to clubs and I don't like, I'm so bad at having a good time in the traditional sense that the idea that I make people, I make music for people to have a good time. It's very funny to me. <laughs> well, and I want to get to everything you're working on so that people know where to find you. And I haven't even mentioned that you are the creator of the music for this podcast and you've oh, yeah. been very indulgent and allowed me to have some fun. And that every iteration of this podcast thus far has been essentially the same tune, but we went a little dark for the liminal space. And then we went a little disco because we've just got to go a bit disco now. Yeah, of course. Um, but so last question, and then we'll get to everything you're working on. And that this will be another doozy. When you think about your journey, so we left off at, you know, college age, Mike in New York, and you're now currently in Austin, Texas. In terms of divine intervention or some of those moments of, you know, the leaps of faith and the trials and tribulations, like the hero's journey, if you will, aka Joseph Campbell's, then I've been like balls deep in Stephen Pressfield's The Artist's Journey, because that's going to be my next book for the my business and book club that I'm Joseph doing. Joseph Campbell is a hero with a thousand faces. Yeah. I mean, he's he's like the myth, the myth and psychology guy. Um, but uh, I'm literally looking at that book right oh, now. There, it's next. To my desk. There you go. Well, so, I yeah. mean, when you think about your journey, has it felt mm -hmm. divinely in tuned in any way, shape or form? And also, you know, in that bring us up to speed. How did you get to Austin? Well, I guess, yeah, I, guess, I guess I can answer these together. I left New York. I talked to a friend of mine who was like, always kind of been a very wonderful musical advisor to me. And I was like, yeah, I just kind of like, I feel 
stuck in, in New York and I'm not really doing the things that I want to be doing. And I had mentioned that I was thinking of moving to New Orleans because I had some friends there and he was like, yeah, just fucking do it. He's like, there's lots of, lots of musicians there and you could probably get something going if you wanted to. So then, yeah. You know, that's, that's like step two on the hero's journey is finding the like <laughs> advisor yeah. or prophet that gives you permission to accept the call. Sorry, I digress. Yeah, totally. But. And that's what it was. That's that's what he he's a musician and producer in New York for years and has he's done a couple of a couple of my favorite rock and roll records over the years. But yeah, so he he was like New York is like not a great place to anymore to like be starting something new. If that makes sense. I think that, that most of the people listening that are that are artists can mm. can relate to that. It can be very difficult to kind of start from scratch in a city like New York or Los Angeles yeah. just because you're a minnow in a shark tank. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's even you're a minnow in, a, in an ocean that doesn't even realize you're there. Mm -hmm. So it's like not it's not even like there's a shark interested in eating you. Like you'd have to like approach the shark and be like, could you eat me? And they would be like, do you hear something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But yeah, he so he said he was like, yeah, you know, I, and and he also had friends in New Orleans uh, that he could set me up with. So I moved to New Orleans on like probably like less than a month's notice. I just kind of reached the end of my rope and decided to pull the trigger on it. And then moving there, boy, do you meet some people that have fucking chops in that city? Mm. Like that was that was one of those cities where when I started to play guitar with people, I was like, oh, wow, I am not good at guitar. <laughs> I really need to. <laughs> I really need to take this a little more seriously because, you know, when you're making music just for yourself or like just you and one other buddy, like in your basement, you can make some really, really incredible stuff. But there's a definite like skill set, a very different skill set in terms of playing with other people that that needs to be cultivated. Mm -hmm. And I had not cultivated that quite yet, or at least not to the level that I really fucking should have. So. I was in New Orleans for two and a half years and I played with a few different people, net, but I still never really got anything going, probably because I was drinking too much and like partying instead of being like, oh, no, you actually like there's work that has to be done. Mm -hmm. Like you, you have to, if, if you want to sell out the House of Blues, the first thing you're going to need to do is like finish writing a fucking song. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a lot of in between. You know, because it would it would be one of those things where it'd be like, you know, you'd see another band, you're like, man, I could do that. And then it's like, oh, yeah. But the thing is, buddy, they actually finished their record. Yeah, so, they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, they're out there doing it. So I was in New Orleans for two and a half years and I met some really, really incredible musicians there. None, none who I really would like to name drop just simply because, it, you know, it's part of my personal life. Right. But, but more so just like. And it was also very useful to be in a city that wasn't New York, just to be like, oh, there is like a world outside mm -hmm. of, of New York, you know, which a lot of people tend to forget. Which were also like some of the most accomplished, you know, household artist names live yeah, and totally. yeah, and um, live quite humble experiences just making music or art. Yeah. Or, and and like we were saying, just kind of doing what they want to do, mm -hmm. their, um, their version of success, mm -hmm. as it were which is just, just simply continue to create things. Yeah. So the woman I was dating at the time expressed interest in leaving New Orleans. And I was kind of very, I was very hesitant at first, but then I realized like, oh, like maybe I need a big shakeup in terms of getting to doing what I want to be doing, which is to be 
creating music way more consistently and, and releasing more music because I hadn't released anything in New Orleans at all. I had played in other people's bands, but that, you know, the, it sort of, it would always fizzle out before we would actually get anything done. So she and I moved to, moved to Austin at the encouragement of a band that I knew from here called Holy Wave and Holy Wave had said, you know, like, Hey, if you move here, we pretty much know everybody and we can introduce you to people. And, and that's what ended up happening. They, when I moved here, they, they introduced me to this great, great musician from the band Low Times named Eric Camacho. And Eric and I ended up starting the band Leather Girls very soon after I had moved here. And so Austin has been a very good space for me creatively because there's lots of other people doing it. And like when I was saying earlier, like it's, I, I'm never comfortable just being a fan. Right. And so when I was seeing other people doing stuff, I was like, oh, okay. So like, I've got to start this band. I've got to start doing this and I've got to start doing this because I want to be a part of, uh, of what's going on. But yeah, I mean, but it, it Austin was an, another real test in terms of dealing with jealousy because you see a lot of people do really well. A lot of people's bands do really well. And a lot of people end up getting asked to join other like really established bands. Like the amount of people that I know that have been asked to play with bands who I like really like or bands that just like make a shitload of money just from living in the city is fucking crazy. Right. <laughs> it's, it's an incredible, incredible talent pool here. And it's, and it forced me to step my game up. And it also really forced me to deal with the jealousy and watching other people succeed in the way that you want to when you are not. Mm. And letting go of that, or, you know, like, obviously you're never completely done working on yourself, but like getting better, I should say, at letting go of that kind of jealousy has led me to be making some of my most rewarding stuff that I've ever made. I love that. And thank you. I mean, it's not easy to, you know, admit some of the, the less um, ideal parts of ourselves, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, and there were some very difficult conversations that I had, like one of my favorite sayings that I know that you and I have laughed about quite a bit, where it's like, if everyone in the room is an asshole, you are the asshole. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, <laughs> and that was, uh, there were definite moments of that for me where I would like, I would be in a room seeing a band playing and everybody would be having a good time except for me. And then I would be like, oh, I'm the dick. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm the one that's not enjoying myself because I wish it was me playing. When meanwhile, I played like the night fucking before. Right. And also no one. And, and this is a, again, this is a this could be its own fucking podcast episode in and of itself. Like so much of like, quote unquote, success within the creative world is based on relationships and no one wants to hang out with the person that thinks everything sucks yeah. <laughs> and no one wants to do anything for that person. Cause like, you know, like shows are, shows are a great example of something that's built on favors. You know, like yeah. when I've been in a band that like has momentum and let's say you're putting together an album release show and it's like, okay, who do we want to play this show? You want to play the show with the people that you like, you know, you want to, like, if you are more popular than another band, you want to help out the people that you like, not the people that are like, that, that roll your eyes every time you get on stage, yep. you know? And so 
that was uh, like, so cultivating those relationships in a, in like a true and meaningful way, not just in a like, what can this person do for me? But in a way where you truly want to like connect with them because mm. you like what they're doing or because you're impressed with what they're doing or something as like simple as being like, wow, that guy also plays like really weird guitars and amps. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, look at that fucking guy playing a fucking Silvertone 1484 on stage. What a fucking dick. It's like, asshole, you play a Silvertone 1484. <laughs> like, why don't you try talking to him? You know? Well, and okay, so to sort of selfishly bring it back to like what I'm threading through these different conversations. And I think one of the reasons why spirituality has such a bad fucking name now is because it's like, I look at it like, does this feel good? Keep going. Does this feel bad? Yeah. Stop. And you yeah. know, what I'm hearing you say is you, you shifted some of your energy and where you were investing your time and your focus and quite literally, you know, your day to day from like shit that isn't productive, doesn't feel good and gets you nowhere into things that are like innately productive and feel rewarding and awesome and expansive and therefore like attract what you want, which are these incredible people who are doing incredible things for no one other than themselves. And like, y'all get to have play dates. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They, I mean, a great example of, of something that like one of the ways that I really could feel myself growing in that way was my bandmate, Daniel Freed, who is another person who's just been in bands forever. Just like the idea of him not doing it just doesn't, like you said, does not compute. Mm. But he's a fucking, he is a student of music. Like in, in terms of like, he has heard and has a thought on almost every band imaginable. So he sent me a record by this group from Estonia called Penza Penza. And it was like, hey, I really, this seems like it'd be really up your alley. And I listened to it and it, it was so fucking cool. Like there's no other way to explain it. It was so fucking cool. It sounded great, really cool songs. And I remembered like being so happy that I, that my friend had sent me this record being like, man, this is fucking, this makes me want to run everything through a fucking phaser or some <laughs> shit, you know, like it was, uh, but it was, it, and that was a really great moment for me because I was like, man, this, this makes me want to make stuff. Yeah. I'm not mad at this band, you know? Oh, cool. I love that. Whereas before I would be like, I would listen to it. I'll be like, fuck, I wish I'd made yep. that. Whereas now I was just kind of like, this makes me want to make stuff, which is a very different feeling, you know? Yeah. And that's something I like, I get to talk about with the people I work with all the time. Um, like, I wish that growth and success and hitting, like creating everything you wanted to create all, you know, was reflected in your bank account or was reflected in like, yeah, throngs of people recognizing you and validating you. But usually it's just not being upset by the thing that used to drive you fucking crazy. And <laughs> you just have this moment where you're like, oh, I went, uh, that was, that was fine. That was like a non sequitur. Cool. I'm yeah. that that's success. <laughs> yeah. And also like, like, I think we touched on this earlier. I've been talking for a really long time. So I, it's, it's all becoming a blur, but it's, it kind of comes down to like, why the fuck are you doing mm. this? You know, like, are you doing this because you want to like get recognized in the airport? Yeah. Or are you doing this because like, 
you, your brain can't imagine not doing right. Or are you doing it because you like want to learn more about this thing that you like, you know? And, and I think that being, being honest with yourself about why you pursue the art form that, that you pursue is, is another thing that's very important Mm. in terms of creation, because like the, you're not going to make anything that will like heal you, you know, like quote unquote, heal you. And you're not going to make anything that connects with other people. If you're like doing it to just become someone notable mm, or rich, you know, or yeah. rich. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of that those things for me go hand right. in hand, but I guess they kind of actually don't. If you, if you want to become rich and famous, like that is a perfectly legitimate thing to want to be. It honestly sounds awesome. I think I'd make a great rich and famous person. Whereas instead now I like will get my, my level of success now equates to a very nerdy kid coming up to me when I'm getting coffee and asking if I was in a particular band. And I would say nine times out of 10, I was in that band, but it is funny when they think that I was in something that I, that I wasn't. <laughs> like when I was with you and that guy, I thought that I was in Tame and Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so now, uh, Listeners at home, I have not and have never been in Tame Impala, although I I would have loved it. Yeah, actual fact. Um, I don't, would you have loved it? I feel like that's not, not your. Oh, you know what? He's, this is actually, I'm glad that you brought this up because this is, this is a great example of that. Tame was a, a great example of a band that I didn't like simply because they oh, were successful okay. and a lot of people like Right. Them. So. Because I remember you and I went and saw Tame Impala together in 2013. Yep, I guess yep. first time, first time I had ever seen them, and I'm watching them, and they were playing an ACL here in Austin, but it was before I lived here, and I'm watching them, and I'm kind of like looking at the band, and I'm looking at Kevin up front, and I'm like, "Fuck, these guys are fucking good." This like you're kind of you're you're a little bit of a shit you know <laughs> like talking to me yeah and uh and it was just i it, it's just i was very jealous that they had done so well but again like the reason they did well is because kevin locks himself in a house and and writes tons of cool songs and gets tons of cool sounds mm. <laughs> you know like that's why it's good it's good because he he really uh he, he seemingly works very hard at it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's well, that, the, the only thing he did from 14 years old on. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, but they, but now, you know, I obviously don't love everything that, that he's done, but now there are times when like, I'll be somewhere and I'll hear something and I'll be like, this is fucking cool. Yeah. And then I'll like Shazam it and it'll be Tame and Paul and I'll be like, no fucking shit. Like I could have been enjoying this song for, <laughs> for, for eight years, but instead I was just like, they're popular and I wish I was in a popular band. So fuck those guys. <laughs> well, I was going to try and segue with the do whatever the fuck you want. But on that note, where can people listen to your music? What are you working on? Do you want people to find your music? If so, tell them oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah. it. You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you're in Austin and listening to this, um, he's also available for DJing. Oh my goodness, aren't I? First of all, if you're still listening, yeah. thank you. <laughs> if you're still with us, I really, really appreciate it. And you're it. a little weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. I I really, for the love of God, for the in the interest of the listener, I really hope that this gets heavily edited. <laughs> but so 
I play in, again, I don't think I do anything, but in hindsight, I kind of do a lot of stuff. So the active projects that I'm in now, the first one, the one that I probably spend the most time with is called Bashu. It's called B-A-X-U. And that is sort of like new disco slash regular disco slash indie electronics slash French house slash filter house. I don't really know enough about electronic music subgenres to even put a genre on the thing that I do, which is also a pet peeve of mine when you ask someone what kind of music they make and they're like, like, oh, it's so hard to explain because you're always like, probably not. <laughs> it's, let me guess, it's two guitars, bass and drums. Yeah, I think I know what it is. But anyway, Bash is the thing that I spend the most time on. And that is, I, for lack of a better term, I would call it a sort of like disco garage sort of duo with um, my friend Michael Regino. And that's on all streaming platforms. You just type in B-A-X-U into any streaming platform and you'll find the fruits of my um, disco labor. I highly encourage um, that to be done on like a Friday night when you're getting ready to go out and you're looking for something to get you in the mood. It's good getting dressed to go out music. It is, yeah, yeah, it really I mean, it's is. It's good. Like, it's also like when you are driving and you need a little bit of extra oomph, like it's super fun, very danceable if you're into that kind of thing, which I am not, but I love Bashu. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you like it. I, I love doing that project has been really, really wonderful. And that's just going to continue because it's, <laughs> it's only me and one other person, which is much easier to wrangle than an entire band. Well, and um, are you guys like a production team as well? The, yeah, so, yeah, do we, you, do you produce under that same name? Um, yeah, we do. When we, when we produce tracks with other people, there are a few that, there are a few things coming out there with newer artists, so I don't even want to say the name in case they change the name. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when we produce tracks for other people, we we do use that name sort of as a catch-all for the things that, that Michael and I do together. And that's been a whole other experience in terms of producing other artists. The production stuff that we do for other people, we do typically under the name Bashu as well. Cool. I also play guitar and do a few other things in a, it's essentially like a post-punk band that's like kind of slowly turning into primal screams. Um, <laughs> that is called TV's Daniel, which is fronted by the person that I mentioned earlier, Daniel Freed. And uh, we have a record coming out this year. It does have a name, but I've forgotten it. Cool. Uh, <laughs> um, but again, that name might change. Mm. Um, so that TV's Daniel record will be coming out on Wild Honey Records, which is based in, in Italy, in a city called Bergamo. So yeah, in addition to that, I DJ all of the time in in austin but i just do that under my name mike garrido it doesn't have like a it doesn't have a cute cool name yeah during COVID, i also did a bunch of uh radio shows that are on soundcloud that are it's called jader radio with it's like jader like cal jader so it's t-j-a-d-e-r um i'll um, link i'm gonna link all of these in the show notes just for the records and jader radio i mean oh, i shared I that quite a bit because like you the one of them um was it, it wasn't Hello Nasty. It was one of the other Beastie Boys records where you actually went and, and played like the song that was the sample. Was yeah, it Paul's the, Boutique? It, Paul's Boutique. Yeah, yeah. That so I don't know. That uh the, your Jader Radio gave me life during lockdown. Yeah, and I did I did like six episodes mm. of it, which is pretty wild. So they're like an hour and a half yeah. long. In hindsight, I'm surprised that I did all of that. And I should probably do more. But um so yeah, Jader Radio is another great example of something that I that I did 
when I was during lockdown because I was just like, well, I can't do the thing that I used to do. So I need to replace it with something Mm -hmm. like (laughs) the idea of not doing something didn't even make sense to me, even when we were, you know, um, padlocked in our homes. (laughs) And some of the other bands that I've been in, I was in Leather Girls for a long time, um, which was a garage rock band here in Austin, Texas, that's kind of been on hiatus for a little while. And I also played with the band OBN threes for a period of time. And I, I do some solo stuff that no, nothing that's been released to the point where it'd be all that searchable under the name Mickey four, which is the, the name that I think that you put on the intro songs for this podcast. Well, it's where I've been sending people as well. Cause I, I credit you for the music. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah. So, you know, longtime fans would be familiar. <laughs> Right, longtime fans yeah. that have heard the the intro. That's me. If you're wondering why the baseline <laughs> is so dark, it's because I'm so sad. <laughs> well, and I think on that note, I, f- I feel like we've covered your creative projects. Have we, have we left anything out? No, I think that's pretty much it. Okay. Well, I'm going to wrap this one up then at one uh, thirty-three. Thank you so much, Mike. You know how much I love you. And I just really appreciate you spending this time with me and sharing all of these stories. You got you got a little personal, a little. I was not expecting you to kind of go there, so I thank you. That means a lot to me. I you know I wanted to serve the story and do a good job for you. you there did. was a period of time where you were my boss, so that's, maybe that still lives in me. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, thank you again. I am going to stop recording.